We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax. And my guest this week is the great Melissa Lockard, uh, senior editor and writer over at The Athletic. Uh, Melissa is a expert of the Oakland Athletics, and uh, I always like having Melissa on, even if the even if I wish she had a more talented team to to be covering. Uh, but Melissa, first of all, how are you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I always appreciate being here, even if the subject is a little bit rough at, at times. What's that been like for you? What's it been like kind of just these last few years? Uh, you know, is it is it uh, tough to kind of find stuff to, to kind of write about and to, to get excited about? Is, is, have you been able to kind of still find some some stuff that, that makes it interesting? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been covering this team a long time. And so this cycle has sort of repeated itself. I think this is probably the third uh, iteration of sort of a tear down and then rebuild back up again that we've gone through. Um, it's the same front office, re- remarkably enough, for like basically the entire 20 years. So I think when you think about it that way, it, it, you know, you it's almost like, okay, I know what's coming next, you know, and, and there are things. And, you know, the good thing about baseball is there are so many uh, levels of development that there's always something to write about about every organization. Um, and so I think that's never been uh, hard. But, you know, I think the bigger thing with it right now is less about what the product on the field is, is more to do with where the team is going to be. I think that's where the anxiety for pretty much everyone that follows this team is more focused on than really how the, how the team is going to play. So um, that's probably the biggest difference from the other couple of times we've gone through this. What's the latest on that situation with the, the ballpark? You know, they're very opaque about it. I mean, you know, they've got uh, lobbyists in Vegas and they seem to be trying to get, some traction in that area. And, and, you know, I think if you're going to make a bet, it's probably looking more towards that um, right now, but it's also, they're a lot further behind in their Las Vegas plans than they are in, in Oakland. They actually have a stadium site and renderings and all that sort of stuff. They aren't even at that point in Vegas. Now, obviously things come together a lot quicker there than they do in California, but um I think we really don't know what goes on in the mind of John Fisher because he literally talks to no one. So uh, I think we'll all find out at about the same time, unfortunately. So we're going to talk about the Oakland A's from a fantasy baseball standpoint. And, uh, you know, they're not a team with a lot of players who are in high demand in, right. in fantasy drafts. But I think there's 
a lot of uncertainty here that if you kind of get some things right about who's going to play, uh, who's going to close, who's going to be in the rotation, who's going to maybe have a breakout season, there's a lot of value to be had. So uh, we'll try to uncover some answers to those questions here. Um, first thing I want to ask you is, who are the everyday position players on this team as you see it entering the season? Yeah, I mean, there aren't like a ton of guys that you're going to look at and be like, okay, those guys are going to definitely play every day. They did bring in three veterans in the offseason that I think if they're healthy, they're going to get the majority of the playing time. And Jesus Aguilar and uh, Aldemus Diaz and Jace Peterson, um, I think those three are probably going to be in the lineup more often than not. But um, especially Diaz has health issues in his past. So, I mean, counting on him to play 162 games is probably not that likely. Um, Shea Langoliers is going to get the you know vast majority of the catching, especially with Manny Pina going to start the season on the IL. Um, so I would look to him to have a very similar usage to what Sean Murphy had last year, if you were going to kind of peg it on that. Um, of course, he's a rookie, so you can't 100% guarantee what the performance will be, but I think that's what you're kind of looking at. Uh, Tony Kemp is likely to start the season as the everyday second baseman. Um, he may get some starts in left field and obviously he'll still qualify out there, but um, I think he'll get a lot of the playing time in the beginning. What happens later on though, I think remains to be seen. There's obviously some talent coming from behind him in terms of Jordan Diaz and um, Zach Geloff. You're going to push him at that position. Um, but at least at the outset of the season, he's probably going to be in, in there every day for you. Um, and then Seth Brown, I think is likely to get um, the majority of the starts somewhere in either right or left field, some DHing. He's had a little elbow issue this uh, spring. So maybe to start the year at DH, um, but they did sit him a lot against Southpaws last year. It's not clear whether he'll get a chance to kind of show he can hit lefties this year or not. Um, against righties, I think you can put him in every day. And then Ramon Laureano. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, Laureano. he's kind of the guy who sort of stands out as, you know, if you're just kind of looking at projections, obviously Seth Brown a little bit as well, but uh, the projection system still kind of like him. Uh, how confident are you? in him having a, a bounce back season and then how optimistic are you that he can have a relatively healthy season? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, that, it's stupid that I, I forget him. I think because last year was so weird, I almost forget he's on the team still, you know, it's like a, it, he, he wasn't there because of the suspension, then he got hurt and he underperformed. But yeah, I mean, if he's Ramon Laureano from 2021 before the suspension, he's their best player. He's there every day. Um, but I think there's a lot to be seen about whether that's still the player that he is. Um, he did not look that in sync last year at all, even before the injury. Um, you know, mentally, I think it was a struggle for him to kind of get back to feeling confident in himself. I think he's talked about that a lot this spring. So um, I think you're going to have to wait and see if he gets off to a fast start in April. I'd imagine you're, you're going to see uh, a lot of him. And, you know, he could get be a guy that gets traded to a contender at the deadline, too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess they... You know, they would have been selling really low if they yeah. had moved in when they moved uh, the rest of their once good players. And um, I mean, that's going to be interesting because it's like, how much do you think, do you think it was just a, a, a combo of performance and injuries um, to kind of account for the, the down seasons? Like, is it that there's, it sounds like you're kind of still iffy on, on what type of player we're getting this year. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, he was really good in 2021 before the suspension. You know, I think that was, it was kind of rounding into his best year, but you know, 
he was suspended for performance enhancing drugs. I'm not going to say that that's why any player is good or not good, but, you know, you have to kind of use that as a reference point. And then, you know, I think he's a very emotional player. He, he puts a lot of passion into what he's doing, but if he's not feeling hundred percent confident, um, you know, you saw that in the minor leagues, the reason the A's were able to get him was because he had a really down year in double A the year before. Um, so he's had ups and downs in his performances because he has experienced that before. I, you know, I do, I would probably, if I was going to bet again, we might as well go all Vegas on this, but um, I, I, I would bet on him kind of finding a way to get back to at least being a productive player. Um, but I don't know if we're going to ever see the complete dy- dynamic player that we saw in 2021. And then you, you kind of listed off those veterans who are still hanging on to pretty prominent roles. Tony Kemp, Jesus Aguilar, uh, Jace Peterson, uh, Aledris Diaz. Uh, do you see one of those four, um, you know, kind of leading the team in plate appearances or kind of finishing sort of near the top in plate appearances? Do you think they all kind of play about the same until maybe Kemp gets surpassed from within the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think probably pretty similar. I, I would think Aguilar is going to play pretty much every day, whether he's the DH or the first baseman, unless he really gets off to a start that's similar to, to how he played last year. But if he's looking at all like he looked before that, um, you know, I think you'd probably see him in a Chris Davis kind of role um, in terms of, you know, he will play some defense, but um, unlike Davis, but I think he'd be in the lineup against righties and lefties if he's being productive. Um you know, the other two have traditionally been more utility type players. So I think there's a little more plug and play with them. Um, but Aguiar is the kind of guy you would build a lineup around if he's right. Well, that's a that's a good nugget because he's uh, basically free in drafts right now. So obviously no guarantee the performance bounces right. back, but at least nice to know that he's going to have a bit of a runway. Um, is there any reason to think Seth Brown can't repeat what he did last year? No, I, you know, he's a really good hitter. He, he, he's a real student of the game. I don't think I've ever met anyone who works as hard on his swing as Seth Brown does. Um, there's no bit of information that kind of comes across. So as pitchers were trying to pitch him differently, you know, he's aware of that and he's making those adjustments right away. He got better as the season went on, um, which I think is always a good sign. Um, and the power has always been, you know, really legitimate with him. So I don't think he's going to hit for a high average necessarily at any point in the big leagues, but I think he'll actually get on base more than he did last year. Um, and, you know, I think t- looking at 25 home runs or more, if he's healthy is, is pretty realistic for him. And then the 11 for 13 on the, the bases last year, is that uh, something that you expect to kind of remain a part of his game? Yeah, I think the team in general is going to run more. I mean, why not, right? Like right. they're going to need to push the envelope to score. And um, they do actually have quite a bit of athleticism in the lineup. Um, and I think that is an envelope they're going to push more. Um, yeah, he was a guy that that ran a decent amount in the minor leagues. And with the new rules, uh, you know, I would expect those sort of more marginal guys to be running a lot more just in general. And one guy who's had a, a big spring training uh, who – you know, I thought was maybe a deep, deep sleeper entering the spring, but he seems to have emerged as Connor Capel. Uh, what do you, what do you envision 2023 looking like for him and what, what might his role be? 
Yeah, it's interesting because he was sort of one of those like pick him off off waivers at the end of last year, just sort of um, you're not really sure that there's anything there. And then he really opened a lot of eyes in just those last couple of weeks of the regular season last year. Um, he's played well again this spring. I think they really like his approach. Um, I think they, you know, there's some measurables that you can see that he took forward in terms of pitch selection and all that last year that it was different than what he had done earlier in his career that make you think the power and all that w- would be sustainable. Um, I don't think they're going to hand him a starting spot, but I think, especially if Brown has to start the year as the DH, um, you know, I think you could see him being the left fielder until Brown comes back and, and takes an outfield spot. Um, and I think he's looking like more and more the kind of fourth outfielder um, in that group. So it, it's, you know, it's hard to guarantee anything. There's a, there's a big mush of guys. What they're going to do with Christian Pache is also, I think, um, a big question. But uh, he's certainly among that group. Him and, and Brent Rooker have been the most um, impressive of the kind of fourth outfielder types that they've had in camp. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, and, you know, I was going to ask you about Asturi Ruiz later, but um, let's actually just talk about him uh, now. Uh, it sounds, are, are you kind of penciling him in in, in center field? Um, obviously, Pache does factor into things here. Yeah, I mean, I think Pache factors less into who will start than who would be the backups um, in the outfield. I think uh, Ruiz was someone they specifically targeted in that Murphy trade to be their center fielder this year. And I think he could have played his way out of it, but he he hasn't so far this spring. Um, he hasn't hit like, you know, gangbusters, but he's hit enough. He's run the bases really well. And I think they've been pleased with how he's played in the outfield. So um I, you know, I don't, I don't know that he's going to have a runway that's infinite, but I think he will get a, a good chance to, to get his feet established as the everyday center fielder start the year for sure. Yeah. That, that trade was so, uh, it, it was such an odd trade to me because, you know, obviously you have, you have three teams involved, which is always interesting. And it was almost, it was hard to kind of figure out how the A's sort of ranked the players they were getting back. It seemed like maybe Muller is the headliner and then Esther Ruiz, maybe the second headliner because the Brewers got William Contreras. It seemed like they didn't give up as much as they maybe should have to get Contreras in that deal. Um, but how, how did you sort of view that, that trade um, from yeah. the standpoint? I had a similar initial reaction, you know, like I was a bit puzzled. Um, but when you would talk to them immediately after, um, you know, I think it was pretty clear they were very high on Ruiz. Um, I don't know that they would put him as two behind Muller. I think he he was their target. Um, okay. didn't match up with what the Brewers were looking for necessarily. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but I'm going to guess that perhaps there had been discussions with Murphy um, and whatever else applies Ruiz, they were going to have to give up. The Brewers weren't willing to give up, but um, Contreras would, would fill their void for them, but they really like Ruiz. They like what they think they can get from him defensively. I think, um, you know, the new rules were obviously going to be in effect at that point. And they um, like the idea of having somebody who can run like he does. I think they had tried to get him in trades, you know, in the past with, with San Diego, go and it hadn't uh, lined up so um and then you know Mueller I, I mean they added a lot of starters last um in the last like 18 months they've added like 10 starting yeah. pitchers that are going to be triple a or higher and then they've got some guys in the lower levels too than these deals and I don't know how you would rank any of them necessarily <laughs> now that it's sort of like 
you can never have too much pitching. And I guess if you've got 50, you're hoping that like, you know, five are going to be confident. That's, that's a decent uh, bet to make. But, um, but I do think like, you know, you look at, at Atlanta and there are guys, I mean, Ian Anderson starting the year in triple a, there aren't opportunities for guys who should be in the big leagues. And I think they felt very strongly that Muller was one of those guys that should be there. So, you know, we'll see, I mean, um, between him and, and Waldachek and Sears and, you know, uh, they brought in Richinski, they've got Fujinami. I mean, there, there's a lot of depth there. I, it's just not a lot of like hang your hat on knowing what you're getting kind of depth. So we'll see. Yeah. So I, I mean, hearing you say that they might've, you know, they've, really like Ruiz, I think that that uh, fantasy managers can sort of read between the lines there and at, at least pencil him in for playing time uh, early in the season. Uh, that That's going to be fascinating because he's the type of guy where people are just drafting him based on the 40 plus steal upside, which is realistic with him, right? Like, I mean, if he gets on base, he can't steal first. But if you if you if he's on first, I, I would imagine that the second's not going to be too far behind most times. Yeah. And where do you do you think he's going to hit at the bottom of the lineup? Yeah, you know, they, it was interesting. They started off the spring; he was leading off, um, and it, the lineup like that they have today, and then a couple of lineups late last week, he's been batting ninth. Um, so I'm guessing that's sort of where they're starting to see him now. Um, it's a lot of pressure, I think, to put a rookie up there. Um, they did that to Nick Allen last year, and I think that was a, a lot to do. So um, having a guy that turns the lineup over to a Kemp who sees a lot of pitches at the top of the order, um, you know, probably makes a lot of sense for how they can manufacture runs. So as you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Jordan Diaz fan, uh, specifically offensively. And I just the more I was digging in on him this offseason – I just kept getting more and more confident that the bat's going to play uh, just a great combination of contact and, and more power than I think people give him credit for. Uh, how does the team sort of view him? Do they, do they view him as, as a building block where they're going to kind of put up with mediocre defense to get his bat in the lineup long-term or does he still have some things to prove to this team? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think, it's tough because the positions he plays are where they have their strengths right now. Right. So um, you're looking at second base or first base, you know, you've got their top two prospects are both at those positions. Um, so he's got to find a place to play. I mean, you look at like Renato Nunez was a guy that had um, I think Jordan's a better overall hitter, but like, Renato had a similar trajectory where his bat was ready and he just could never find a defensive position and they weren't willing to just hold the DH spot open for him. That doesn't mean they wouldn't necessarily hold the DH spot open for Jordan at some point. Um, but I think they want to see some confidence with the glove. That said, I mean, he went out there and played second base last year, literally almost never having done it before, like three weeks before his big league call up. And he wasn't horrible. I mean, he was not like, great, but there are, you've seen worse <laughs> situations out there. So I think it's possible for him to, to be competent enough that maybe he ends up being sort of Max Muncy-esque in terms of where he moves around the field. And that ability to move around will get him in the lineup enough to be regularly featured along with DHing. Um, but you're right. I mean, the opposite field power is very underrated for him. Uh, he can go anywhere um, to all fields. He doesn't take a lot of walks, but he sees the pitches really well and he knows what he wants to hit. Um, and he's performed at, you know, high levels in international competition against, you know, in, in really intense situations. So he's a little older than his age in that sense as well. Um, so I, I think he's someone that they really like. I don't know 
if they have an answer as to who is going to be their next generation, but he's among that group that they're really looking at. And do you think, do you think he spends more time in the big leagues or AAA this year? Well, he'll, he'll start the year in AAA. And I think it just depends on, you know, how quickly some of the veteran guys either get moved on or um, get hurt. You know, it's, I think they're at that stage right now where there has to be an opening. They've, they've added some guys that are ahead of them um, to long-term deal. Well, relatively long-term deals, two to three year deals. So, um, you know, but for them, that's, that's, yeah, a that's, that's, that's a uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Injuries are going to play a big part in how much that happens in front of him. But the guys that are in front of him, there is some injury history there. So I, I certainly wouldn't bet against it. All right. We're going to head to a message from our sponsors. When we come back, I'm going to ask Melissa about that A's rotation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The fantasy baseball season is underway, and there's no better place to play than Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB Best Ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has 500K in total prizes. 
In best ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to $100, but you'll also get six months of our RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWMLB. Draft your 100K Dinger team today. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. If you play on another site and it's not providing you the service you want, you're constantly having to tell your commissioner about minor leaguers you want to add that aren't in the system, you can move your league to Fantrax. They'll import your current leagues and customize it if needed. It's really the only place that I like to play Dynasty. I'm still on some other sites, but I wish they were all on Fantrax. It's so easy. The, the player pool, not only are they going to have every prospect that you're looking to add, they're going to have guys that we saw last night who played for Team Japan who can't come over for three or four years. You can roster those guys right now in Fantrax. Uh not only do, you, do they have that deep, deep player pool, but you can sort with advanced statistics. Just really easy to find the free agent you're looking for on the wire. So sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X.com slash Rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. All right, Melissa, we're back. Uh Eno Saris, your, your colleague at The Athletic, and I uh, co-manage a dynasty team, and, and he was pushing for us to draft uh, Shintaro Fujinami. Uh, and I, I wasn't on board early enough in the draft for us to get him. Uh, he obviously loves Fujinami because of the Stuff Plus uh, data on Fujinami. Um, but I, you know, he, he really struggled to throw strikes prior to last season. And it seemed like a bit of a red flag that the A's were able to land him um, for what they, what they got him for. Uh, I guess, do you want to sort of tell me your, your kind of uh, view on, on Fujinami? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's been interesting this spring because, and again, spring training is what it is. I mean, you can look back at Shoei Otani's initial spring training and you can, um, the, the opinions that came out of that, it's hard to laughable to think about now, but, um, but I mean, you know, his stuff looks very playable in the spring outings that he's had. He's gotten out big league hitters and looked good doing it. Um, but the command issues have been there too, right? He's had um, some outings with four or five walks and, and that sort of thing. Um, he's been able to work around it, which I think is, is not uh, a bad sign. Um, but I, you know, I think, the issues that he had in Japan are not going to like miraculously disappear because he got here. Um, it sounds like the plan is that he's likely to pitch once a week, you know, so I think that's important for, for people to realize he's not going to be on a, on a once every fifth day um, setup, at least initially. Um, but that will probably give him a little more rope in terms of working out of some of these jams. Like if he's kind of run into an issue in the third inning, I, I don't know that they're going to be quick to pull him because like they're, they're going to have to try to balance this six man rotation maybe. So um, I, I think he's going to be kind of fun. You know, he was a guy that they had targeted a couple of years ago uh, with their Asian scouting department um, as like, 
you know, over in, in, in Asia, they kind of have three or four guys that are there and they, they look for guys that they think they would be able to get over from a talent perspective, but would also fit their budget. And he was a guy that I think they had targeted pretty early on that would likely fit in there. Um, so, you know, there was some early interest that maybe would have let, led him to sign quicker with them than maybe they, you know, it would have been if there had been an open bidding situation. Um, but I think we'll kind of have to wait and see, but I, you know, this stuff is definitely legitimate and, if it doesn't work on a starting basis, it'd be interesting to see if he would transition to be like a closer. I mean, they don't have like a specific closer at this point right. either. And the stuff would certainly play that well too. So um, yeah. Uh, but, but the command is definitely not like um, top, you know, top one starter kind of command at this point. Yeah. I, I just, I assume the whole time he was going to be signed as a reliever based on the command. And then he did find a, a home where they, as you said, they'd been on him for a couple of years and they had a plenty of spots in the rotation that were sure. uh, not nailed down. So uh, it seems like a good fit. Um, but yeah, well, I guess we'll see uh, if he has enough command to start. Uh, another new addition to that rotation, Drew Rusinski. Uh, what's the scouting report on him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, you, you need a, a good defense behind. I think he's probably not going to be your big strikeout guy, although those went up, um, you know, when he was overseas um, compared to where he was when he was back in the big leagues before. But I think he's the guy they're going to count on to be sort of eating a lot of the innings. Um, you know, he, he will start every fifth day. Um, you know, I'd look to him to get into that sixth inning pretty, you know, consistently. Um, and you know, a lot of ground balls and, and, and that sort of thing. So Nick, maybe pairing Nick Allen starts with when he's going to be in there <laughs> is probably not a bad idea. Um, but I, you know, I think he's, if he follows the pattern of some of the guys like Chris Lexon and others that kind of went overseas and came back and, and were able to carry over some of those improvements to here. Um, you know, I think he can be a pretty decent mid rotation starter for, for them or other teams if they become interested down the road. Who do you think is going to lead this team in saves? Um, Trevor May is listed as like the default closer on most websites. Uh, but, you know, I I think we talked about this last year and, you know, Danny Jimenez and Zach Jackson were involved and they're, they're still around. Uh, they have a lot of pitching prospects who have closer-ish stuff but might still be being developed as starters. So who do you think leads the team in saves? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. I mean, May doesn't have like a long track record as a closer, even though he's a, a long time, you know, late inning reliever. So, you know, maybe he starts default there. I think they're going to go match up. Um, I, I'm still going to bet on Jimenez being the guy that leads, but I, I, I would imagine you're going to end up with maybe two or three guys with at least 10 saves. Um, I mean, this assumes that they they went yeah, there. If, if there's yeah. if there's that many to spread yeah. around yeah exactly but um but i mean i think you know you sort of saw that last year and, and it broke down a little bit towards the end of the year when both jimenez and jackson ended up on the injured list but assuming they're healthy um it was a bit of a matchup thing and you know i think they really like jimenez is cool when he's out there um i think acevedo is another one that could sneak in there for some saves um i, I think the fact that he throws so many strikes is something that i is is you know gives a manager a lot of confidence when you're going in there, especially in ballparks, maybe they don't have um, Homer, you know, friendly tendencies. Um, but I, I don't with that now that they traded AJ puck. Um, I don't know that there's one guy you can look at right now and be like, yeah, I think he's definitely going to be the guy that's likely to get those saves. So uh, I did want to talk, like you mentioned all the trades they've made. Um, 
what do you know what their kind of strategy is when they make a trade? It it seems like they they strongly value pre-arbitration big league ready players uh, and they're, they're willing to kind of take a, a quantity over quality package. But is that, is that them seeking out those packages? Is that teams kind of playing hardball and just saying, you're not having like any of the guys you actually really want. And, and these are the guys you can have, um, you know, what, what do you, what do you see as sort of their philosophy when it comes to, to making trades right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, not every trade is the same. Obviously, we mentioned that puck one, and that was a one-to-one sort of deal. But I think um, in general, I had come up with this like very stupid power of three kind of theory. But it's, you know, it's sort of the idea that when they make a, a trade of one of their veteran stars for um, in a rebuilding situation, they're looking for someone who can play every day in the big leagues now, um, who's, you know, pre-arbitration young, um, someone who's right on the cusp of being ready for the big leagues it could even start the season if everything worked out well and then someone who is a a much bigger flyer that would be in that a ball area that they could build up um and obviously not all packages involve only three players some of them you know would kind of double up on that but it's that balance i think um they're very much not an all eggs in one basket kind of approach to to deals in general um you know, and I think if you look at it, I, I know people tend to be like, oh, they didn't get enough for this. Um, but they've come out pretty well in many of their trades. There's been a few that that haven't worked out that well. I think generally they shouldn't trade with Toronto. But, um, you know, in, in, in general, like, I think that balanced approach has, it doesn't give you the immediacy of necessarily being like, this is a slam dunk win. And yet you look back a few years later and all of a sudden you've got Marcus Simeon and Chris Bassett in a deal that everybody like totally, you know, slammed at the time. Um, and it's Chicago that regrets that deal later. So, um, you know, the volume is such that they're going to win and they're going to lose some of them, but they also don't really operate on like a, this is the list from baseball America that we're working off of too. So a lot of times when other people say, Oh, they didn't get the guys they would have wanted. They did. It's just their opinions, whether they're right or wrong (laughs) are, are, are those other guys. Um, so, but I do think that there's a balanced sense that um, they're trying to to kind of create different avenues for the trade to win. Um, and so that qual- that qual- quanti- that quantity is not necessarily like going to Costco and buying a big you know pallet of of different kinds of drinks, but it does create different avenues to win. If you get an offensive player and a pitcher, you know, if one of those works it can carry a deal, you know, even if the other guy breaks down. So um, I think that's sort of the general philosophy. Um, I, I would, I would hate to judge the trades that were made last spring on the same level as some of the other ones that were made just because of the, the circumstances of, you know, budgetary, they're being told they have to trade those guys right away and they have like a week to make them. Um, and they're not operating with the same information maybe that you would have in a non-lockout year. So it's, it's hard to know on the recency of those deals exactly. But if you look back over the last 20 years, I think you'll see, um, you know, sort of more of a pattern. Yeah. The, the Addison Russell trade always sort of stands out to me because that was one where they were just getting killed from by everyone because everyone was looking at the public rankings of where Addison Russell ranked as a prospect. And I think it's pretty clear in hindsight that they, they knew what they were doing with that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I think you look at like 
trades also have kind of shelf life that go well beyond the first day that they come out, right? So that like that deal led to another deal that led to another deal that led, you know, that JT Ginn is still hanging around from um, that deal essentially because Bassett's traded for him. And, you know, he's, he actually has, has been looking pretty good since he came back from injury last year. So um, I think it, you almost need five years and they're, they're a front office that does not operate with the same sort of pressure that you see from some other ownerships that are constantly looking to change. So I think there is a longer view on these deals than you might get in some other front offices. And you mentioned the, the JJ Bleday trade being a one for one. Uh, does that, was that one just kind of a, a need for a need type of trade? Like were they, yeah. are they still high on, AJ Puck, do you think? And and were you at all surprised that Bode is going to open the year at AAA? I would say publicly they would tell you they were high on AJ Puck. I, I I personally had a tough time believing the confidence that they had in him just based on um, you know, the fluctuations in what you saw from it. Even in a good year like last year, when he came in in some safe situations that shouldn't have been stressful and he made them very stressful very quickly. Um, I, I don't know that the mental place that he was in when he was pitching for them was going to necessarily be, um, you know, good in either starting or a closing. I mean, when they, when they were going to move him out of the bullpen and put him back in the rotation, given everything that had happened, I, I was kind of like, this is not a guy they're building around because it didn't seem like that was going to work. Um, so maybe a change of scenery is really what he needed. And, you know, and Bladé is a guy that I think they really liked. He, he got too good for them to be able to draft him the year that he was drafted. Um, and, and, but he was a guy I think they had scouted out before that draft that, you know, early in the year, they would have hoped to land in the twenties when he, you know, when they had been picking, um, and their outfield situation is certainly not like long-term set in any sense. So being able to bring in a talent like that. And I had asked somebody, you know, um, he strikes me as sort of a similar profile to what Mike Yastrzemski was like when the Giants acquired him from Baltimore. And they were basically like, that's not a bad comp as to what we're thinking. So um, I'm not surprised he's starting the year in AAA, but I would also think he'll get some time in the big leagues this year. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the the puck thing is, uh, you know, he's going to the Marlins where obviously that's where Jesus Lazardo is as well. And, uh, the fantasy community, I think, is is starting to get somewhat excited about Puck as possibly the closer in Miami, uh, based on him having a good spring. But um, yeah, it's interesting just kind of hearing you sort of talk about what he was like in that role uh, with Oakland. Yeah, uh, and, and it could work better for him there. You know, there, there's there's a lot to be said for changes of scenery, and sometimes mm-hmm. when you've had struggles in a place, you just can't get past them there. And um, you know, Jesus is one of his closest friends in all of baseball too. I don't think that's going to hurt to be in that same locker room with him. So, um, you know, we'll see. And, and he went to college in Florida. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think could line up for him having a you know a new leaf over there as well. Nice. Yeah, that's that's uh, good points there. Um, were there were there any other players on the sort of I, w- I have this game I want to play with you on, about some of their their pitching prospects and then we'll talk about you know Soderstrom, Geloff, uh, the rest of the position player prospects. But were there any other big leaguers, uh, kind of established big leaguers that you that you want to highlight here before we move on to the the prospects? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Nick Allen's. I mean, I, I'm probably going to always be his biggest, you know, cheerleader. Um, and I don't know how well fantasy wise he plays, but 
I know they're not starting out the season with him being like the undisputed uh, starting shortstop. I feel like that's a big mistake. Um, but what he can do defensively and, you know, when he is right, he's getting on base at a decent enough clip that the speed will, would get you some stolen bases. Um, and I, I still think he's going to be a very good above average big leaguer for a long time. Um, and in, especially in a non-shift kind of situation, he's going to be one of the more valuable defenders you could have out there. So. Yeah, I almost made this a Nick Allen question, but I just wanted to give you uh, yeah. the opportunity to bring him up if you. I'll, I'll wear a T-shirt next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's such a good player. Yeah, uh, and like you said, I mean they they need that defense. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can do this year. Uh, okay, so uh, when I, I did a I did an article a couple months ago about um, like the best. Uh, relief pitching prospects in the minors and uh, you know there were some categories some of the guys that like are still starters but might end up in relief and I just noticed that uh, a lot of the A's pitching prospects are guys where whether it's a third pitch whether it's command whether it's durability they all have something that might lead an outsider to say oh I bet he's going to end up in the bullpen um so I want to go through these these pitching prospects and and get your take on whether you think they're a, a starter or a reliever long term. Is that uh, does that sound fair? Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, Kyle Muller, who we, we talked about earlier, uh, obviously a guy who's dealt with uh, strike throwing issues for as far back as I can remember, but he did show some signs. I thought uh, last season uh, wasn't consistent all the way through the season, but. Uh, yeah, I think they're obviously going to try to try to make him a starter. But uh, what what do you think about his long term future? Is it in the rotation or the bullpen? I think he's a starter. I think I don't know that his stuff is dynamic enough that you would want him in the bullpen. Um, and I think he can get his command to a point where at least he's good enough to be a kind of a four or five guy. All right, I I, I buy that. Uh, <laughs> the next guy, maybe the most exciting guy uh, on this list, Mason Miller. Mm-hmm who obviously I think has starter stuff, uh, durability, probably the big issue with him, uh, I guess, starter or reliever long-term with Mason Miller. And then just sort of, what do you see as their sort of developmental plan for him in terms of which levels he might pitch at this year? Yeah, I, they are as excited about Mason Miller as any pitching prospect they've had in the last 20 years. I can think back to like Brad Anderson and Trevor Cahill is like the, you know, um, they were that excited about him. I think unless he can't handle it physically, he's a starter. Um, he didn't get a chance to like throw the, you know, the, the third pitch as much last year just because of the injury, but it looked decent. And that was with having thrown it very little. Um, but the stuff is, is huge. Um, and he throws strikes, you know, pretty well. Um, so, you know, I'm going to bet on starter right now, just, but, you know, knowing that there is an injury history there. And do you think it's just upper levels of the minors for him all season? Yeah, I think I think he might start in Triple A. Um, oh wow! Yeah, like I think they they're they're thinking of him knocking on the door. I mean, it's possible with however get, who gets sent down that maybe he starts in Double A, but like I don't think um, he's any lower than that. And I think there's a decent chance he starts in Triple A. And do you think he like because it is it is almost one of those situations where it's such a special arm? Uh, maybe you want to get those bullets in the big leagues if 
if you think he's ready, like could could he move yeah. quicker uh, than than people expect? I mean, I think you know pitchers haven't been taking as long as they used to to get to the big leagues in general anyway. Um, and the stuff is is already there. Um, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his arm, even though he's older, uh, just because of the, the way his health history was. So um, I don't know that it's a rush to get there because they don't think he's going to hold up. But I think, um, you know, based on how he pitched in the AFL and, you know, uh, how he's reacted in, in other camp situations and stuff, I, I don't think they feel like he's not ready for those upper levels. Okay, uh, so we're, we're two for two on starter. Mm-hmm. Um, this next guy, I've actually been really high on for a while uh, just because of the fastball curveball combo. Freddie Tarnock, uh, who they also got from Atlanta. Uh, third pitch and, you know, command, but mostly third pitch have kind of been the two things that have sort of held him back in terms of people buying in on him as a starter. And he's someone that I think could even – you know, he could get high leverage outs for them this season if they wanted to go that route. But but what do you think they're going to do with, with Tarnock, starter or reliever? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of an injury thing right now because he hasn't pitched since, I think, March 8th. Um, there were some nerve issues in his finger that he was getting checked out. So I, I don't know how that all lines up. And I think that can obviously dramatically change someone's trajectory if it turned out to be a surgery situation or something. But if it's nothing and he's back quickly um i could see him getting worked in as a reliever and then maybe moving to a starter um i sort of like his stuff seems flexible the way that chris bassett's was flexible and that you could kind of have him in a bunch of different roles and it would work um but that third pitch if he gets the time to do it i think um would give him a good chance to be a starter but it just depends on maybe what they would need from him yeah that's a a good point about the the nerve issue there definitely something to keep an eye on uh I get a lot of questions about Gunnar Hogland. Uh, there's just not much to say, really, at least yeah. with what I know, just because we haven't seen him pitch, really. Like, I don't know how good the stuff is right now. Uh, do you do you have anything, any insight on, on Hogland and, and maybe what he's what the expectation should be for this season? Yeah, I think he's kind of a bit of a black box. I mean, he his stuff was not back all the way when he was pitching in those, you know, brief outings last year, and then he got hurt again. And I think they weren't sure what to expect. I mean, from what I've heard, you know, building up slowly in, in spring training, um, I think it's a wait and see at this point. Um, you know, it, it could be one of those where it's like a two year recovery from Tommy John instead of a one year kind of deal. Uh, we'll see. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Uh, Roy Bear Salinas, another guy they got from Atlanta, uh, I think he was just going to be a starter for or a reliever for sure if he stays in that org. Uh, the stuff is obviously, you know, nasty, and uh, he does have some issues in terms of just sort of his ability to hold up with his physique and and strike throwing and stuff like that. Um, and ability to repeat his delivery, I should say, with his uh, physique. Uh, but this is a situation where they can be patient with him if they want to keep him on a starter's track. But what do you think long-term for, for Salinas? Yeah. I mean, I think they will uh, develop him as a starter until he proves he can't be a starter. And then, you know, he, he could move into the bullpen as sort of that fallback. Um, I'm going to guess bullpen just based on, you know, the the things that you've mentioned. Um, But, you know, you you never know a guy that young, he could, he could figure it out enough to stay. You had a nugget earlier about JT Ginn. Uh, so what's what's the latest on on him? 
yeah, he's he's come back and I mean he he was quietly one of the better starters in the fall league last year. Um, you know, he doesn't miss bats like he did in college, but he consistently gets a lot of ground balls and weak contact. Um, and I think they view him as sort of a guy that can be a middle of the you know uh, rotation sort of bulldog type. And um, he he pitched three scoreless innings in the game yesterday in, in spring training. So um, I, I could see him joining the rotation at some point this year. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's an encouraging report on Ginn. Uh, yeah. If he, I think if he can just handle a starter's workload, you know, the stuff's definitely there to be a, a starter. Like you said, uh, Luis Medina uh, is someone that we've been talking about in prospect circles for, I feel like half a decade, just thinking about how the stuff would play out of the bullpen because strike throwing has been such an issue for him. <laughs> uh even on a team like Oakland that can be patient with guys, I, I got to think uh, he's going to be in that bullpen sooner than later. Do you, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we entered the off season thinking he was out of options. Um, that was actually one of the big revelations for me anyway, during winter meetings was that uh, David Forrest said, no, actually he, he has his, a fourth option year. So that changed a little bit. I mean, you know, he went and pitched in the, in the winter leagues as a starter and did pretty well. And, you know, I think they may start him out in the rotation, but yeah, I mean, he screams reliever just based on um, both the, the stuff that could play as a closer and also the command issues. Um, so, so I would guess reliever with him. And then uh, Ryan Cusick, I, you know, I think even in the draft uh, before he got traded to Oakland, you could really dream on his top two pitches and, and envision a, a monster reliever, but it's been kind of a bumpy road for him. Um, what, what do you think about Cusick? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, Ed Sprague, the farm director, had said to MLB.com that they felt like they made him, they didn't know him that well, and they made a mistake moving him up to double A based on how he had a couple of good starts at high A before the deal. Um, so they'd sort of done him a disservice, and they really liked what they were seeing from him so far this year. I think you're still right in that when there's, um, kind of that second time through the orders when things seem to kind of break down a little bit for him last year. I think they'll still, you know, develop him as a starter, but um, I could see him ending up as a really effective reliever just based on those um, two pitches that you mentioned. Okay. So now it's time to talk about Tyler Soderstrom. Uh, you know, I think he's, you look at the way he kind of finished last season, the last like three to four months, once the weather kind of wasn't super cold, uh, he was, he was awesome. Uh, what's, what's kind of the latest on, on Soderstrom and do you see him making his big league debut this season? I do. I mean, I think he will dictate There's very few prospects that get to dictate when they make their debut, right? Like, but on a team that doesn't have, you know, playoff aspirations and with a talent like him, I think he will dictate when he gets called up based on his performance. Um, and <clears throat> he's going to be playing in Las Vegas. There's going to be the chance to put up huge numbers, but you know, the power is real. He's got a very veteran approach at the plate. Um, you know, they've even liked the improvements he's made as a catcher. So, you know, if you think he can catch enough to be like, you know, a 40 games behind the plate guy and then play first base in DH, that opens a lot quicker avenue to the big leagues because they really don't have like a dedicated backup to Langoliers anyway. Um, but I think he will. Uh, I would guess he spends close to half the season in the big leagues if I had to make a bet. And yeah, I mean, that, that'd be exciting. Like, do you think he would just kind of step right in and kind of like the middle of that lineup? Like, 
playing yeah. every day? Is that I kind of look back to how um, Matt Chapman was introduced into that lineup in 2017. I, you know, he looked ready and they put him in and that was it, you know, and um, he was probably, I can't remember exactly, probably the fifth or sixth hitter, you know, right, right off the bat. Um, and I don't see any reason that you would hide Soderstrom lo lower down in the, in the order like that. So um, yeah, no, he's, he's um, by far their best hitting prospect. And then Zach Geloff, uh, you know, he, he had a fine season last year, uh, struggled with making contact in the upper levels a little bit. Um, you know, I'd move, and now he's, it seems like second base uh, kind of exclusively, um, you know, how, how have you, how do you view Geloff at this point um, compared to last year? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, some of that performance was coming off of a separated shoulder. And then um, he, he also, I think had about with COVID too. So, you know, you're coming off of in the mid season, trying to catch up from all that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the bat speed is, is still really good. Um, he's got a lot of power. Um, foot speed will also be, you know, an aspect of his game. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I did a story on when he was playing for Team Israel in the WBC, and I'd asked Bobby Crosby, had been his manager at Double A Midland, like, you know, Ian Kinsler is going to be his manager there. Is that the kind of player you think he can be? And he was like, oh, yeah, that's that's the kind of player that offers all those different types of um, skill sets at that position. Uh, and they really like how he's handled the transition to second base as well. I think they think he can be an above average defender there. Huh. Yeah, that's I, I didn't realize he was that type of uh, runner. Um, yeah, he's a well above average speed guy. Um, I, I don't know that he's stolen as many bases with that shoulder. They kind of tapered sure. off on that a little bit, but I think he was on a decent pace before the injury. Um, and uh, now he's, you know, healthy again. So. Well, that's a, that's a good uh, thing to note, especially like we said, like we were saying earlier, uh, there's no reason not to run on this team. So. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, if you were up, uh, you know, do, do you think we, do you think him and Soderstrom are on a similar trajectory to the majors or do you think Soderstrom? I do. Yeah. They're, they're sort of, um, a little bit of a nucleus forming. I don't think they're going to like have a, you know, plan where both of them have to be there at the same time, but I think they're a big part of it. I think Lawrence Butler's put his name in that group as well. I think Denzel Clark, they're really excited about Jordan as well. You know, so um, there is a group there that they would like to see try and kind of come and arrive at around the same time. And th those are sort of the guys and Langoliers already being there, of course. We need a place for Jordan to play. I want him to be part of this nucleus. Uh, Get out center field. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned Butler. He was the last guy I wanted to ask you about specifically. Uh, what's his evolution kind of been like the past? Seems like maybe Pat since like last summer, maybe maybe it's like he's not. He's just kind of on a on a rocket ship. It seems. Yeah, you know, he was one of these guys that went home from the pandemic and got way better when he was home. He worked out with that Michael Harris group out in, um, he's from the Atlanta area. And um, I don't know what they're like doing over there, but that they, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, like, right. <laughs> they're like the driveline of hitters, you know, like that's, that is just an incredible group of, of players that get together. And, and um, but he's gotten better every single year since then, you know, like he was better last year than the year before. And I think, you don't see that in the statistics because he had that fluke injury as much, but if you were watching him, um, you know, once the weather got playable in the Midwest league, he really was dynamic. He was really good in the fall league um, as well. 
And he's been, I think he was their best player in spring training, you know, big leaguer on down. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's hitting everything on the line. He was hitting for power. He was running well. Um, the, the big thing holding him back is that his outfield defense isn't at the same level as the rest of his game yet. He's a, a decent first baseman, but I think, you know, they would like him to be an outfielder. So if he can get that up and he has the athleticism to be a good outfielder. So it's just a matter of, of um, you know, getting the reps in, but if he can be an average outfielder, I think he can be an everyday outfielder for a while in the big leagues. Does he remind you of anyone um, like yeah. off the top? Like That's a good question. Um, just a little of it like Dave Henderson sort of um, not defensively, but like, you know, he, he's got that maybe not a, he sees a ton of pitches. He's maybe not going to hit for a super high average, but he's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to steal bases. He's going to drive in a lot of runs. I think he tends to um, embrace those high pressure situations um, from the left side, not the right side, but I, that, that kind of outfield profile um, of maybe like a 2020 guy um, who gets on base at that, like 350, you know, uh, range. And you, and yeah, I mean, if he was the best player in, in camp, um, I'm guessing he goes to double A and maybe even sees triple A this year. Yeah. He'll, he'll start the year in double A, but I would be surprised if he spent the whole year there. I think wow. he's, I think he's like, you know, as, as that mid season shift happens, I'd imagine mm -hmm. he's in that mid season shift to get up to, to triple A, especially once they start moving some of the more veteran guys out of uh, the triple A outfield, which tends to thin out, you know, towards that middle of the season. So are there any other, uh, like any sleepers or breakout candidates that we haven't touched on in this, in this system? Yeah. I think the one really underrated guy is Brett Harris. Um, and, you know, he's somebody who I think you appreciate the more you watch him play, but um, outstanding defensive third baseman. I think part of the reason that Geloff has settled in at second is that, you know, Harris is a guy that's kind of really settled in at third, um, sees a lot of, a lot of, uh, pitches as well, very good hitter and has added a lot of power since his time in college. Um, so he's the kind of guy that I think he'll show up and everyone will be like, who's this guy? Like, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I, he has all the makings of just being a really solid big, big leaguer for a long time. Well, this was excellent, Melissa. Uh, is there anything you want to anything you want to plug or um, anything you want to mention before, uh, before I let you go? Yeah, um, just that you know we're ramping up all our coverage on the on the athletic. We're actually having a very fun team uh, minor league team name contest right now. So if you haven't had a chance to vote for your favorite minor league team name, I, you know please go and and do that. But um, we'll be doing our ton of preview stuff in the next week or so. And um, uh, I actually should have a conversation um, up with Ed Sprague in the next day or two as well. If you want to learn more <laughs> in depth stuff on the A's minor league system, but we've got obviously a lot of coverage of every team. So um, head over. And I think we have a deal right now that's like. $12 for a year subscription. So definitely hit a really that. good deal. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. If you're not, if you're not subscribed to the athletic, I mean, you can't, how do you pass that deal up? Um, Melissa, you're, you're the best. Really appreciate it. Uh, wish you had, wish we had more talented <laughs> players to discuss, but I think we uncovered a lot of ground here and uh, couldn't have done it without you. So really appreciate you stopping by. Um, this has been the Roto-R Fantasy Baseball podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax.